The way we consume and share news today, it is largely rooted in social media outlets, a reason why it's crucial to look at what's being discussed online. From the hottest issue to... from the hottest issues to trends for our daily social media minute, we're joined by Yerika in the studio. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> Apparently not very well. <laughs> what is happening? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it happens. It does. In case you were wondering, not an AI, also live from Seoul. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Jumping into some of these buzzwords this morning. Uh, Apparently, archives of grassroots revolutions nominated for UNESCO Memory of the World inscription is one of the major topics we ought to be paying attention to this morning. That's right. So two historical archives of uh, Korea's grassroots revolutions, um, you know, which are seen as having such milestones mm. for the democratization of Korea, have been nominated as heritage documents to be inscribed on UNESCO's memory of the world. Um, they include the archives of the April 19th revolution in 1960 and the archives of the Tonghak peasant revolution mm. of uh, 1894. In case you don't have maybe the historical context, uh, these were two of the most politically turbulent moments in Korean history. C- can you tell us mm-hmm. about maybe the key criteria the evaluation of the submissions are based on? Sure. So the archival records were recognized for, well, one, uh, their extensive portrayal uh-huh. and two, their vivid portrayal mm-hmm. of these two events. Um, the recognition was made at the 14th International Advisory Committee of the UNESCO Memory of the World. Uh, It convened back in March. Um, The announcement of the nomination, however, was made on Friday. Uh, This is according to the Cultural Heritage Administration. Um, The IAC evaluates the submission based on three different criteria, uh, authenticity, integrity and world significance mm-hmm. and uh, this year a total of 68 submissions were nominated among the 88 total submissions I can't imagine the headache the IAC faces ah, yes. how do you go about <laughs> judging it's something based on authenticity yeah. integrity and world significance mm-hmm. integrity being kind of difficult right right all right, let's talk about the archives. You mentioned uh, two, uh, mm-hmm. the April 19th Revolution, 1960, and then the archives of the Tongak Peasant Revolution, yeah. 1894. Um, you mentioned it must be a headache yeah. for the IAC to go through these evaluations, you know, 88 submissions. That's quite a lot. And uh, uh, the the April 19th Revolution, the archives of that event include a total of 1,302 documented materials that covered the social background and development of the revolution leading to the downfall of former Korean President Lee Seung-man who uh, held office from 1948 to 1960. The second one, the archives of the Tonghak Peasant Revolution, uh, referred to a collection of some 185 documents mm. that uh, depict the uprising mm. against uh, corruption mm. in the ruling class, as well as foreign powers' encroachment on Korea. So the public, they were basically calling for a more just and equal society. Mm-hmm. Now, both of these archives serve uh, as a reservoir of memories of moments in Korean history. This is where a public basically took charge of their own destiny. They mm-hmm. impel the course of these uprisings to achieve universal values that are cherished 
even today. That's right. And the democracy that we have today uh, must be credited to these uh, big turning Mm -hmm. points in the course of major historical events. I mean, uh, the April 19th Revolution Archives, 1,302 documents. The Dongak Peasant Revolution, just 185. Just 185. (laughs) But mind you, I mean, these are handwritten and and perhaps a little bit more complicated to Mm. decipher and to maybe prove its authenticity. It might require a little bit more cross-checking. That's right. There you have it. Uh, When will the final decision of the enlistment be made for? Yes. uh, So the UNESCO Executive Board's meeting is scheduled to take place from May 10th through the 24th at the UNESCO headquarters in Paris. There you have it. Let's turn our attention to your second buzzword. Uh, For any mommies out there, I mean, Mm. are you also guilty of showing your children (laughs) lots and lots of, you know, streamed videos to keep them maybe occupied at the dinner table? You're not alone because there's a whole generation of moms who believe in this too. However, what we don't understand is are there consequences, undesirable consequences, if you show these media contents when your kid is just a little bit too young. That's right. So um, just over the weekend uh, at, at, at my restaurant, uh, we had a family come mm. to have dinner. It was the wife's birthday mm. and uh, they had two twins. Oh, wow. I think they were like aged five <laughs> and uh, not a peep from them. Over the course of two hours, they you know, were eating their, their dinner <laughs> um, and they were so quiet. And the reason was because uh, these twins each had a tablet <laughs> placed in front of them. Properly distracted. And yes, they were just like, you know, so focused on what was happening in front of their eyes. And, yeah. you know, and they would just open their mouths and their, their parents would just spoon feed them, literally. Honestly, who am I? to? I, I don't have a kid, so I don't know what it's like yeah. to raise rowdy children or children mm. who just require a little bit more attention. And you're at a restaurant, it's crowded. and you don't want to disturb the other patrons. So it gets complicated, which is why more studies are required (laughs) to better understand digital literacy. That's right. And a recent study conducted by the Korea National University of Education's Industry Academic Cooperation Foundation shows that uh, a concerning number Mm. of children aged three to five uh, were introduced to these digital devices, Mm. including smartphones, tablets, tablets, television, of course, and laptops before they even turned 24 months old. Okay, so the currently three to five age group, they were first exposed to any of these digital devices. Before they turned two Two. years old. That's right. Uh, And uh, over 10% of these children had their first digital device before they turned two. They they had their own device before they were two. Like the twins. Yeah. The trend of younger exposure to technology has sparked, of course, calls for appropriate digital safety Mm. education for parents. I mean, I I know it's easy for us to say from afar, everything in moderation, but what is moderate for my child might not be moderate for Mm. the child next door. So it gets really complicated. Doesn't it? That's right. Now, the report revealed that 54% of children aged 3 to 5 were introduced to digital devices at or before the age of 24 months. Mm. The survey was conducted on more than 2,000 parents who have children aged 2 to 3 to 5 who were enrolled in kindergartens all across Korea. Uh, The survey was conducted at the end of August last year. Can you give us some more insights from this report? Because I think it's important that we talk about it. Yes. So, 24%. So, 
almost uh, well a quarter yeah. of the children were introduced to digital devices between ages two to three. Fifteen percent were introduced to digital devices at three years old. Now five percent at four years old, and two percent at five years old. Um, as children grow older, the time they spend using digital devices, unsurprisingly, generally increases. <laughs> In fact, seventy-five percent of the respondents said that their child's time on digital devices increased as they grew older. Get to adulthood, you'd be alarmed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know what to say about this because 100% of the students at our school, they're they're on digital devices all day long because everything is digital-based these days. Less paper school, and you least. rely on internet yep. research. And so, of course, we understand today yep. that you know digital devices is not a doomsday scenario. We no. need it for work. We need it for school. Yes. We need it for, well, information that is available on the vast internet. Yep. Now, how we utilize it <laughs> and trying to understand early exposure is also equally mm. important, right? So what about the average time spent on these digital devices <laughs> on a daily basis? Yeah, so the average time seems to be split. Uh, 34% of these kids spent around 30 minutes mm. or more on their digital device devices, less than an hour. Uh, 33% spent an hour or more but less than two hours a day. Okay, so it is kind of evenly split yep. then, somewhere between 30 minutes to even up to two hours. That's right. uh, do parents set rules for their kids when it comes to devices? <laughs> Most of them do. They try anyway. They try. 76% of the parents said they, they do set rules, okay. but the remaining 24% said they did not set any rules at all. Or maybe they set the rules and it just wasn't effective. Or just ignored completely. Right, right. Now, the report also just suggests that parents do have concerns about the harm harmful and developmental effects of digital device use in infants and toddlers, but they do need help in regulating device use in Because their children. I realize no means no, just yeah. doesn't work anymore. No. It worked on me. I'm a little bit... Same here. Worked really well on me. I was such a good kid. I, oh, well, well. <laughs> I don't have your parents here to ask. Oh, that's, that's also true. Fair enough. But I also think I was a pretty manageable kid. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there for now. But certainly, I mean, I don't think it's to uh, create this sort of, um, well, make make evil of the digital mm. devices. It's to just better understand and maybe yeah. help parents better cope with yeah. digital devices. provide the help that they need. Right, right. 30 minutes of usage and what should be followed up afterwards, yeah. things like that. Mm. All right, on to our final buzzword of the day. South Korea has confirmed three more monkeypox, mpox yes. cases through local transmission. Yes, that's right. According to the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency, three South Koreans tested positive for mpox recently. Uh, the latest cases bring the total number of confirmed cases in South Korea to 13. Mm -hmm. So the 13th case was confirmed just recently on Saturday. Okay. And of course, given the nature of, uh, well, how it's transmitted, yeah. I, I think it's it's fair to give out the warning. And because it's about physical contact and being in the vicinity of someone who's already been affected. Yes. Uh, according to the KDCA, the three new cases were locally transmitted as the infected patients had not traveled overseas in the past three weeks. That's correct. Investigations into these recent cases are currently underway. Now, of the 13 total infections mm. so far, eight were locally transmitted cases. Um, all eight uh, recently infected cases were unrelated to overseas travel. So uh, concerns are naturally growing over a massive 
mpox surge here in South Korea. But I mean, I, I do think we need to manage expectations. It's not like COVID. And no. even, even the transmission process is a little bit different. Health authorities are advising the public to be extra careful about skin-to-skin yeah. contact, especially when it comes to strangers. That's right. The mpox virus spreads through close personal contact mm. with an infected person through contact with their blisters, mm. saliva, or other infected bodily fluids. Mm. If suspicious symptoms appear, you should call the KDCA call center at 1339 and report the disease. Um, Of course, with any disease, a lack of awareness and knowledge uh, is considered to be one of the major barriers Mm. to diagnosis. So the agency plans to publish a booklet on how to diagnose MPOX and to distribute it to medical institutions here. Okay, because uh, the memory of COVID is pretty fresh and it's still going, uh, I, I guess. Yes, it does mm. raise blaring red flags for the public. Should we be as concerned? No, uh, the public, the experts say, do not need to be overly anxious okay. over a massive MPOX surge because the risk of transmission of MPOX in the general population is relatively low. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just be aware because there are outwardly signs. Like yes. you said, the blisters are pretty hard to not see. Yeah. Some of the symptoms include fever, headache, muscle aches, swollen glands, mm. chills, a rash, and skin lesions mm. filled with fluid. Uh, transmission is also possible indirectly, apparently, okay. through contact with objects that have been in contact with an infected person, such as clothing, bedding, and towels that they have used. Okay, so in that sense, you should treat it like a cold if you're in the house right. with somebody who has mpox. Yes. Okay, yep. and I think watching our, washing our hands vigilantly. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good, good start. Idea. Uh, I use alcohol wipes for everything to this day. Yeah, and that's a habit I'm not ditching for a long time. I I still wash my hands religiously, <laughs> multiple times a day. And the thing is, it's really simple. We learned yeah. this as a kid, right? <laughs> Stick with <laughs> <That's> it. <right. laughs> Thank you so much, Erica. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.